in chapter 2. We, we, you probably thought we were already started chapter 2. We kind of did some, some uh, uh, overview, preview, and, and stuff going into chapter 2 as we looked at the churches. But tonight we're actually going to get to the first church here in chapter 2. We'll look at verses 1 through 7. I, I'm going to try not to get, get... I tend to get in a hurry, okay? So I got 45 minutes... I, I don't think I'm going to get through, but that's okay. Well, I'll stop wherever, and we'll just pick up right there next week. Uh, but I generally, when I get started, I like to get done, and that's why it's frustrating for me sometimes on Wednesday nights, and if I'd quit talking other stuff, I could get done maybe. So here we go. Chapter 2, there in Revelation, verses 1 through 7. We'll read those. This is Ephesus that we're going to be looking at, the church at Ephesus. And this is the backsliding church, okay? This is the backsliding church. So verse 1 in chapter 2, uh, Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now, if the letter stopped right there, boy, that would be a great, great letter, wouldn't it? Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from this place, unless you repent." But this you have, but uh, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, as we begin this, I want you to just kind of think about something for a minute. You know, what is it that happens to people? between the wedding day, which is so joyous and it's so earnest and they're so sincere. So what does it happen between the wedding day and the day the divorce papers are signed? You know, what happens to parents between the day the child is born and the day they complain about that frustrating brat? Now, I'm sure none of you have ever done that. That's not you. You know, what happens to us between the day a loved one is diagnosed with some awful condition and the day that loved one, whom we truly cherish, becomes a burden. In each case, what happens is a loss of first love. That's what that is. Gradually, almost imperceptibly, what, what was once done with passionate love and commitment becomes little more than duty or a chore. Now, maybe that's you know, how we feel tonight. Maybe that's how somebody in here feels tonight about their Christianity, about their faith. Uh, perhaps you're just trudging through, hanging on, doing your duty. And I hope tonight will, will be an encouragement as we look at this church at Ephesus and we can, we, can, we can learn from this and grow through this. Now, the main point here as we begin this, these verses here, 1 through 7, it teaches us that the great commandment matters to God. Now, you hear that? The great commandment. It's the great commandment. It's what the Lord told us that we're to do. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that it matters. It, it matters. And we're going to see that here, that that really matters. The love we have for the Lord really matters. Jesus identified our greatest obligation as wholehearted love 
for him. That's what the great commandment is all about. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 38. And this declares to us that God is not pleased with dutiful obedience that doesn't flow from genuine love. Now let me be, be clear right there because we're going to talk here. We're going to talk about serving and we're, and we're going to talk about serving in trudgery or tr- tr- serving because it's you're just doing it because you feel like you have to. God doesn't want that. God wants us serving. Amen. Amen. We're to serve, but we're not to serve out of just, man, you know what? I don't want to do this, but the preacher's always harking about we need more help in the nursery. Oh, by the way, we need more help in the nursery. (laughs) We need more help in extended session. We need more help in uh, Sunday small groups. And and I'm going to go ahead and mention this here. Uh, Not really a change in our uh, policy, but we're, we're kind of, we're going to promote it a little different. Since I've been here, um, I have felt like we, we, I felt like we almost had a policy in place that men couldn't serve with our children. Okay? So if that's in our minds, wash that off the, the whiteboard tonight. Okay? So our men have done a great job. Uh, Dave Stewart was a hero last night. He, he just... There were four of us there. We, we, we had them outnumbered. So us men were doing the child care for the ladies' Bible study. And so I was here every night. Jay Metzger was here. He wasn't able to make it last night, but he was here every week. Dave Stewart was here every week. Randy Dixon was here every week. Um, um, ben Ald was here every week. So the, 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 there was five of us. But last night there was four of us, and we just had one. Uh, we had we had we had uh, Grayson. Now he's 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 got more energy than all four of us combined. But Dave got in there. Dave was I mean, Dave's on rolling around on the floor with him, and just we just had a great time. So what I'm telling you is this: that this the same qualifications that we have for everybody. If you're going to work in children's ministry, you got to be a member. You got to be a faithful member. Okay, you don't show up once a month and then we put you with our kids. It doesn't work that way. You need to be a member. But if you are if you want to serve. Because there's no reason men can't serve in the nursery, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stagger it the right way. We're gonna put the you know we're gonna make sure with our two adult all that stuff, all the things we, we've done that we have as far as protecting you for accountability and protecting our kids, all that's in place. But men, if you're willing to serve, then get with Kristen. Okay, so we need you, and if it gets bad enough. I'm going to take my sermon and I'm going to go back and help in the nursery. We'll just have a, we'll, we'll pipe in the preaching one Sunday, okay? So we don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it. Oh, I tell you what, we'll just release them in here. We'll release all those kids. We'll just release them in here. Release the hounds and um, have fun. Have fun. So, you know, but going back to, you, you, oh man, preachers just always harking on somebody to help. My, yeah, I guess I'll go help. No, we don't want that. What we want is what God wants, and what God wants is, is just like he wants you to be a cheerful giver with your, with your money, he wants you to be a cheerful server. He want, and I don't want volunteers. Volunteers wear orange, and they come from Tennessee. Amen? Amen? We don't like any volunteer fans in here? Oh, wait, I think there is one. I'm in trouble. <laughs> All right. I'm a Georgia Bulldog. Y'all beat us for 12 years straight, and I had a guy I worked with who treated me like dirt for 12 years, so... Uh, I have a little fun with that. But I use that, I use that because I'm a Georgia fan and I really don't like Tennessee. But that's <laughs> beside the point. But v- volunteers, we don't want volunteers. Volunteers uh, feel like they, you, you owe them something. Right? Well, I came and volunteered. Hmm. 
I should get a week off now or whatever. You know, it's a different attitude. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't volunteer for stuff. If I'm going to do it, I want to serve. I want to have a servant spirit. I want to be like Christ in that. So we should give of our talents. We should give of our times. Please don't look at me like that. He's looking at me like really mad. But I was just kidding, man. It's, no, he's good. Um, <laughs> we should have that servant attitude. We should want to give in all those areas. So listen. We, we need you to step up. We, we, we're having, our, our numbers are growing. They're growing crazy. But we had 11 kids in extended session last week. It's 11 kids. We need to split those kids. We need two groups back there, which means we actually need four or five uh, servants back there instead of two or three. So we need more help. So if you're willing to help, step up. But we want you to do it out of a, a heart to serve, not because, well, I, preacher, if he ain't going to shut up if I don't go back there and work. That's not what this is about. It's about serving the Lord and serving in, in, in the ministry right here. Um, so this declares to us that God is not pleased with dutiful obedience, but that doesn't flow from genuine love. And that's where we should serve from is a place of genuine love. That love we have for God that should stir our hearts in wanting to serve him. And here's a great place right here. There's opportunity to serve the Lord right here in this ministry. And then we go out of here into our community right around us. And we go to our friends and our coworkers and our laborers. And then from there, we send it out to the state. Then we send it out to the nation. Then we send it out to this, this, this uh, hemisphere. Then we go... All, the whole world, but it starts right here. As, we, as we're focusing on missions this year, and, and I've heard a lot of people talk about, man, we're excited about missions, what we're going to be doing. Oh, let me give you another announcement tonight. All right, so May the 1st through the 4th, Sunday night through Wednesday night is our missions conference. May 1st through 4th, we're going to do it. It's, it's, we're trying to plug the, the pieces in place right now, but mark your calendar for that. We're going to do that. It's less than two months away, but we're going to have some different preachers come in. We're going to have some different missionaries come in. But here's the thing. If we're going to get excited about sending money over into Africa to do missions, but we're not excited about doing missions right here. This is missions right here. Our, 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 com our, our commission is to go and make disciples. Well, we're making disciples right here. Sunday small groups. With our children, we're making disciples right here. This is the first line of the disciple-making work right here. Here's your opportunity. And from there, it grows and expands out. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, uh, so here in Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7, Jesus mercifully reveals his glory to the church in Ephesus to, to do this. This is what he's wanting to do, to reignite that first love that he requires. That's what he's trying to do in, in, our, in their hearts, and it's what he wants to do in our hearts. If we've fallen into that, he wants to reignite us. So the hands and feet of the exalted Christ are emphasized here. We see that in the verse. Uh, he, right there in verse 1, the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. His hands and his feet are emphasized here. So he holds those stars, the, the messengers of the churches. And we talked about that. Be, that. be that pastor or angel, whichever take you take there. Uh, we spent a lot of time, probably too much time talking about. But, but they are in his hand, and he walks in judgment among the churches. Remember that. It's Jesus that is walking among the churches. He, he knows what's going on in these churches. He's taking account of everything that's going on in the churches. He's very aware. So we're looking here at Ephesus. So he begins here with Ephesus which is the city closest to Patmos. It's the closest of the cities to where, where Paul was. And this was a, a great commercial center. 
here at Ephesus. And the emperor had made Ephesus a free city. So it's a free city, and it had the title of Supreme Metropolis of Asia. So we're not talking about a small, hick town. We're talking about a major city here. A lot of people, a lot of commerce, a lot of activity, a lot of things that were going on. Uh, You know, I don't even think I have this in my notes, but one of the things about Ephesus Charlie, you can help me with this. I know you've studied through this and gone through this. But Ephesus is one of those places where the silt that comes down off of the mountains into the waters there, it just, it's amazing. It fills up. They talk about the, the river is just full of silt. Now, if you've ever seen the Mississippi, it's, it's not clear running water because it's, it's just co- toting tons of dirt through there all the time, the silt. And then it deposits that out into the ocean. Well, the same thing was going in in, on there at Ephesus. So Ephesus was constantly, it really, even the the land mass line, the the layout of the land was changing. It was constantly changing, which is kind of what we see here. They've shifted away from where they originally were to where we're going to see that they are now and why the Lord is dealing with that. Now, the most important feature that was found there was the Temple of Diana, and it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. If you've, if you, you've read about this, if you've read in Acts, in Acts 19 and 20, you go back and read that. I would encourage you to read that tonight, read in Acts 19 and 20, and you'll read about what was going on, the worship of Diana, and the, the temple that was there. But the temple was 425 feet long. So that's, that's almost a football field and a half was how long that was. It was 220 feet wide, which is two, uh, more than two-thirds the width of a football field. It, it was 60 foot high. It had great folding doors, 127 marble pillars, and some of them were covered with gold. And as you read there in Acts, you see that the worship of Diana was religious immorality at its worst. I mean, it was just, there was a filth that was going on with all of the worship of Diana. So the church at Ephesus had works, had labor, and patience, but no love for Christ. And if you contrast that with the Thessalonians, they were, they, they were commended for their work of faith and their labor of love and patience of hope, 1 Thessalonians 1.3. So uh, what we see here is... is the Lord commends them for their labor, commends them for their work. But it is not what we do for Christ, but the motive behind it, the incentive that counts. You know, that's, it. that's important. I, I think sometimes we get caught up in the what we do. And it's more important the heart behind the what we do. You know, I'm going to tell you, if I get up here and preach, I can get up here and preach a great message but if my motive's not right, man, it, God can still, don't get me wrong, God can still use it. But for me, for my benefit, for, for whatever, in what I'm doing for the Lord, if my motive isn't right, my heart's not right, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing in that for me. There's not, that's, that's a wrong way. But man, if your heart's right, if you just come and serve cookies and Kool-Aid at VBS, that's sacred work. Amen. So it's our motives. It's why we do what we do. That's so important. That love, and it should be motivated by our love for Christ. So Ephesus has had a busy church with high spiritual standards. They could not bear evil people, and, and they wouldn't listen to false teachers. So there's some very commendable things here. They didn't like evil people. They didn't put up with scoundrels. They didn't put up with that stuff. The work had, had been difficult 
but they hadn't fainted in the work. They had stayed steadfast. And in every way, it was a successful church from the human point of view. And some of today's busy churches with full calendars and worn out workers, they fit that description. There are a lot of churches that are in that very shape today. They're busy. Then from the outside, the man, it just looks like things are just booming. Everything's going great. But God sees it as it is, and he sees the heart of it. But the Lord was in the midst of those churches, and he saw what was missing. They had left their first love. And I'm going to spend a little more time on this here in a minute. But you notice the wording there, that they had left. They left their first love. It didn't say they lost their first love. It wasn't something that, you know, they're just going along and, and one day they woke up and, and, wow, you know what? Where'd that go? I'm missing it. They left. So it was, there was, there's a choice in this. They left their first love. Verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. So the local church is espoused to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So the local church is espoused to Christ. But there is always the danger of losing, uh, of, of losing that love or that love growing cold. Amen? Married? You know, now my love's never grown cold. My, my love for Gina has never grown cold, but it, it will be now. No, but, but there is always that danger in any relationship that the relationship can grow cold. The love can grow cold, and that's what had happened here. You know, it's kind of like Martha, you know, Martha and Mary and, and Lazarus there, you know, Martha... Uh, we could be like her, where Martha was so busy working for Christ, you know, and we can do the same thing, that we have no time to love him. She was so busy. The Lord is there. Mary, Mary's over there at his feet. She's listening. She's taking in everything he says, and Martha's mad because she ain't helping. You know, and, and the, the Lord wasn't putting up with that. And so here's a quote I heard a long time ago, and it's something that if you're serving in ministry, any level of ministry, you've got to listen to this. We can get so busy in the work of the Lord that we neglect the Lord of the work. Charlie, you're a pastor. There's a danger. And it's not just for us as pastors. That's for anybody in ministry. Because, you know, when you you love the Lord, again, you love the Lord. You get passionate about what you're doing. So you're driven by your love for the Lord to do for the Lord. And you're doing and you're doing and you're doing. And then you find out you're doing so busy. You're getting so busy in working for the Lord that now you, you don't have time to love the Lord. And, and uh, you know, that, that, that's really right there. That quote right there is one of my prayers every year as I start the new year. Is, Lord, don't, don't let me get so busy in the work. Don't let me get so focused in the work that I, that I lose sight of you, that I lose sight of the Lord of the work. I don't want to get so caught up in the work of the Lord that I lose sight of him, that I don't have time for him. So we got to guard against that. So Christ is more concerned about what we do with him than what we do for him. 
He's much more concerned about our personal relationship with him, that time that we have, that fellowship we have with him. He's more concerned about that than the, what we do for him. And, and, and again, if we're, if we're in right relationship with him, we'll balance that right. We'll want to serve him. We'll want to do things for him. We'll, we'll be doing that work. But you've got to guard that we're doing it because we do, we, we've had the time with him and we, and we protect that time that we have with him. We spend time in his word. We spend time in prayer. We spend time sometimes just sitting and being quiet. Do you ever do that? Just sit and be quiet. Well, it's hard to do today because we're, we're so busy. There's so much going on. And, and if you ever get somewhere and it's just quiet and you go, wait, what is that? Oh, it's just quiet. But it's so great just to sit and, and be still. And some of, you, some of you are probably going, boy, wouldn't that be nice? Hadn't had that in a while. But you gotta, you got to work for that. you got to find those places and those times where you can have that quietness and that solitude and just sit and, and commune with the Lord. Talk to Him in your mind. Listen to what He's saying to your heart. Spend that time with Him. So to the public, the Ephesian church was successful, but to Christ it had fallen. And as Jesus addressed the church in Ephesus, He presents... Uh, them with nine positive statements connected by these and statements, this and, the word and, the conjunction there, and then there's a sudden but, this, this uh, however, that it introduces the one negative mark that he has against them. So, so they're, they're called to repent, and a, and a final positive mark, remark is made about them then that we'll see in verse 2, 6. But here again in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, let's look at these statements. So the first one, Jesus tells them, I know your works. I know your works. Now, Jesus knows the good things that you've done. Amen? He knows everything that you've done. He knows everything you're doing. Um, if you've ever, you know, there's times you might get discouraged if you've ever done something for somebody and, man, they didn't even take note of it. They didn't pay any attention to it. They didn't, they, you know, and you, and you think, man, did they, they didn't even notice what I did. You know, I raked the yard for my neighbor or I cut his grass and he didn't, he didn't even notice it, didn't say thank you. Can I tell you this? You never do anything for the Lord he doesn't notice. Nothing, nothing, nothing gets by. There's nothing that you've ever done. You may not have got called before the church and gotten recognized before the church. You may not have been recognized as, as a super Christian of the year. You know, the pastor didn't bring you up on stage and pat you on the back. But most of us don't, we wouldn't do it for that. We won't do it that for that anyway. But I promise you, you've never done anything for the Lord. You've never done anything for the Lord that he doesn't know about. And he's marked it all. It's all there. It's never, none of that goes to waste. So he knows your works. Jesus also says that he knows their labor. Now, this word carries the implication when you talk about labor uh, of weariness. Uh, I, the ladies who've been in labor would, would maybe would agree to that. I don't, I don't know. I've never been in labor. But I have labored. Dave, you've labored. And when you, we labor, there's the idea of weariness. So remember that because we're going to come back to that in a moment. But there's this idea with labor of weariness. We go and we work hard. We labor and we're tired. We're, we're, we grow weary in, in, in from that work. And their patience. He knew their patience. Now, these first three characteristics that Jesus knows of them, uh, they're all similar. They have a similar take. So there's works. There's toil. There's endurance. There's this patience. And so what we find is the church at Ephesus, they were persevering. They, were, they, were, they hadn't fallen off doing the work. They're doing the work. They're doing the things that they're supposed to do. They're checking the boxes. They're staying diligent. They're, they're persevering. Jesus also stated that he knows that they cannot bear those who are evil. So the church at Ephesus was not able to tolerate evildoers. Um, you know what? I think that's a good thing. 
Even, even if the world thinks that, that we're intolerant, we, we're not to give in to the world's, we're not to seek the world's approval uh, in the things that, that Christ himself would identify as evil. And that's the problem we have today in the culture we have today. We're seeing this all around us where churches are compromising in the biblical, the, just the foundational truths of the word of God, and they're compromising in those areas. And we're, folks, we're not going to compromise. We don't want to be loved by the world. I think if you're loved by the world, there's a problem. I think scripturally we, we understand that. You know, well, we shouldn't be offensive. No, I, I agree. I don't think we should. We don't have to be offensive. The gospel is offensive. We speak the truth. Scripture says speak the truth in love. But I don't care how you say the truth. Some people are going to hear it as hate when they don't agree with what you're saying. And, and we're going to hold to the truth of scripture we're not going to be concerned with whether the world is happy with it or not. We're going to embrace the truth of what God says. And I've said this several times, and I'll say it again right here. Um, if somebody's house is on fire, and we go, you know what, I love you, so I don't want to, I'm not going to offend you. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to tell, I, I I really ought to go tell them their house is on fire. Ah, but they might get upset that I told them that. Or if somebody's going the wrong way on the interstate, you've seen this. People going down the interstate, people trying to get their attention. Why, do you, why would you tell them their house is on fire? Because you want them to get out of the house. You want them to save themselves and get out of the house. If they're going the wrong way on the interstate, you want them to turn around and go the right way. That's love and compassion. But you go, oh, you're judging me. You're going the wrong way on the interstate. No, you're judging me. Well, th that's what happens with us when we speak truth. You speak truth, biblical truth, because if this is the wrong way, the way you're going is wrong. You need to come to Christ. You need to come into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you're just judging me. You're, 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 you know, you're, you're a fanatic. You're this, that, whatever. No. I'm the one who loves you because I'm telling you that lifestyle is wrong. I'm telling you that that way you're living is not going to get you to heaven. That's love and compassion. For me as a, a, a man of God to tell somebody, hey, man, you can live however you want to. God is love. Love wins. So it's okay. Trish, just live however you want to. It doesn't matter. You're going to get to heaven. God, lo God loves everybody. That's not loving, folks. And that's the lie we have today about this whole thing of love uh, we're made out to be hate, and that's, again, that's the agenda of Satan. Make us out to be hate when it's, it's love that compels us to tell people the way to heaven. Jesus knows that the church in Ephesus uh, tested those who say they are apostles and are not, so they tested them and, uh, and have found them liars. They found them. They did the due diligence. When someone came in and they were claiming to be an apostle, they did the due diligence. They checked them out. They said, nope. And they, and they did the research. They found out they're not. And they, so they did the things they were supposed to do. They tested those apostles. Um, there are false messengers today, just as there were false messengers in, in the Ephesian church there. And we, we, we have to know, folks, listen, we have to know the gospel we have to know our Bible, and, and, and we need to know Christian theology so that we can tell the difference between someone who increases our faith uh, in Christ by telling us the truth about his greatness and that someone who makes us feel good about ourselves by, by giving us pep talks and you know, telling us, encouraging us to rely on our own resources and that we can do it. You know, we got a whole group out there today that all they're going to do is just tell you, 
how good, Susan, you can be. Susan, you can be the best Susan ever. You can be, you can, you know what, seven steps. Just come up with seven steps, write a book. You can get rich today. Just tell somebody how you can be the best you that you can be right now. You can live your best life now. But they don't care about the truth of what's going to happen when we, when we leave this world. What's going to happen then? Because it really will. You'll have lived your best life. You'll, the best will be behind you. It will be the best ever. Because the only thing that matters, folks, is, is, is what we've done with Jesus. And I, I think I shared this. It might have been Sunday. It might have been the week before. But we're not promised tomorrow. We're not, we're not promised the next heartbeat I may not live to finish this lesson. And we see it. We see how quick when things happen as they've happened this week, how, how quick things can change. And, and so if, if, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to run. You need to run. You need to come to someone. You need to find someone and say, I want to, I need to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Show me. Show me in the Scriptures. Show me. To, to, to introduce me to Christ. Show me. Help me with this. Do not, do not sit around, especially, man, you're sitting under the Word of God. You've heard the gospel. You know the truth that you're a sinner. You're, you're, you're lost in your sin. You're hopeless in your sin. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. And that Christ came. He, he, he did everything that needs to be done. One of my favorite books, and I've given it to many of you, is a little book called Done. D-O-N-E, period. Everything that needed to be done, that could be done, that had to be done, has been done. Every other religion in the world says do, 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 and then hope. Well, hope ain't a plan. God has done it all. He has paid the price. Everything that needed to be done for salvation has been done. And he offers us salvation. And he calls you. He has, he has called you to repentance, to come to him. Change your mind about doing it your own way and come to him and he'll give you life everlasting. But the instant your heart stops, the instant, that quick it can be over. And there's no going back. It's like I told my kids at the Grand Canyon years ago. We went out there and I said, guys, just understand this. There are no do-overs if you, if you do stupid here at the Grand Canyon. Because you'll come up again, but it'll be in a body bag. And it's the same way, folks. It, that quick, it can be over. Jesus has commended the church for, their, for its endurance there at the beginning uh, in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. And he returns to their endurance at the beginning of, of uh, verse 3. They are labored. They labored for my name's sake. Now, they are labored for my name's sake. And then the next thing says, and they have not become weary. Now, we just talked about the word labored. And the, the labor there, um, talking about the, the idea of growing weary in laboring, getting tired. Well, I want you to understand what he's saying here. It's not a contradiction in the Word of God where here there's the idea of being weary, and then here's the idea of they've not become weary. Here, here's, here's what it really means. Um, D.O. Moody, let me, let me read this quote, because D.O. Moody said, I have grown weary in the work, but not of the work. You catch that? So it's, it's, it's one thing to grow weary in the work. Uh, I go back to Pastor Charlie. You ever grown weary in the work? Been just tired? 
You've been going. Uh, your mind, your brain is fried. Your body's tired. And then you've got to get up and go to the hospital at 4 in the morning. I know you've had those days. You grow weary in the work. But that's different than growing weary of the work. I, I, I pray God never let me grow weary of the work. I've been in ministry 21 years now. And I've never once been weary of the work. I love the work. I love serving the Lord. I love doing what he's called me to do. And, and, and we all should be, we, we should, you know, when you get tired, you need to rest. But we don't want to get weary and walk away from the work of God. We don't want to get to that place. So we can summarize these nine good things that the Ephesian church was doing. And we can group them into two categories. There was deeds and there was theology. So everything said about their deeds is good. Everything that they were doing, their works, God says they're good. Everything said about their theology was good. But one thing, that one thing that the church lacks, uh, which Jesus identified there in verse 2, seems to indicate that the Ephesian church is muddling through without much joy, holding out with steadfastness, uh, but with faded fervor. You know, something that once was passionate, once they were excited about, uh, has changed. And it seems like they've maybe slipped into a a pattern of just going through the motion. That was was where they were at. Have you ever ever been there? You ever gotten to that place? And we can get that place in our jobs. We can get that place to that place in ministry. And we've got to guard against that because we don't want to be at that place where we're just going through the motion. We want to be doing what we're doing on purpose, intentional, and we're doing it out of love for the Lord. Jesus says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. So Jesus doesn't merely state that he was against the church, that he, that he has this against the church in Ephesus, the abandonment, abandonment of their first love. He gives them a plan of action. He gives them a course of action to fix this situation. And, in, and so there in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, we find the, three, the three-step program that Jesus has for the church. He says this. He says there's three things here. He says, remember. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. I might get done with this after all. Remember, therefore. So, I, you know, I remember, I remember when Gina and I, when we first met, and I, I like to tell this story, so I'm going to tell this story. So our church was about this size at that time, and we met in church. But I had been attending there maybe just a few months maybe, and I rem- I'd gotten to a place at that point. I was in college, and I, had, um, I didn't date a lot through high school. I was hung up on one girl, and she wasn't hung up on me. So that tell you so where, where that was. But then I got into college, and I didn't date a lot in college because my parents divorced. Both of them had come from divorces. Then they divorced, not once but twice, so I saw a breakup there. My friends who were dating, they were, they were dating some girl, and they'd be running around on her with somebody else. And so I just saw what I saw I didn't like. And, and I was at a place where I said, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not doing any of that. I'm not playing that game. And I got to a place where I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm not going to go, I'm not dating anybody. I'm not chasing anybody. I'm not pursuing anybody. I'm not doing any of that. I said, Lord, show me. When, when, when she comes into my life, make it so evident to me that I'll know. And so uh, it was in the fall of the year, I believe. might have been late summer. I don't remember that. I probably should remember that. But don't get mad that I don't remember that, Gina. But Gina and her mother came in. 
uh, came into church. And it was before church, so I was standing in the back, and they came in, and they were coming down and walking toward the front. And I remember standing there, and, and the ceiling parted. And the glory of God shone down on, Jor- uh, on Gina, and the angels were singing. I mean, I exaggerate a little bit, a little bit. I, I just remember, I, I, this, this is no lie, I still remember thinking this. I remember thinking, wow, I could marry her. I just was, I was smitten. It was, it was for me, it was love at first sight. Now we met and we had talked and she really never noticed me. And here's the truth of it. She kind of had her eyes on my best friend. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So she has her eyes on my best friend. And, and so what I, I got her, because my best friend, he had a ring and he was about to propose to his girlfriend. And uh, we were at church one night, before, before Wednesday night before church, and Gina was standing over there, and I, was, and I said, give me that ring. Now, uh, honestly, I've never spoken to her at this point, never said a word. So I got the ring, and I walked over there, and I said, hey, hey Gina, I said, uh, I know this is kind of sudden. And I popped that ring up and said, but would you marry me? And I watched the blood run out of her face, <laughs> and she got a little woozy, and, and I thought she's going, I said, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, that's just a joke. Is that the truth, Gina? Absolute truth. <laughs> so y'all going, oh, he's telling some silly story. This is, the, this is the absolute honest to God truth, exactly. What that did, though, I got her attention. <laughs> I got her attention. And then we just had a little boyfriend we had to take care of and fix that problem. But, here, here's, but here's the thing. When you talk about remember, you know, I, I can remember back to that. I remember when we fell in love all those... <laughs> bunch of years a bunch of years ago uh about 31 years ago now i think and 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 i remember from the first time i saw her i couldn't wait to see her again i just couldn't i mean even before we'd ever talked i was like i wasn't missing church for nothing there was no way i was gonna miss church i couldn't wait to see her again i couldn't wait to talk to her when once we started talking i couldn't wait to talk to her you know i hated to be apart we'd see each other at church and then i wouldn't i may not see her again you know for a week and I hated being apart. And then when we started talking on the phone, it was like when we, when we were, were actually talking and getting into a relationship and we'd talk into late hours of the night and all that stuff. And, and you know, my thoughts were on her constantly. And so do you remember that? Do you remember that love? Do, do, you, do you remember that love like that for the Lord? Now, if you don't, if you don't, you might want to see me tonight before you leave. Because if you've never had a time where you truly fell in love with Jesus, you may never have met Jesus. But I, I can remember that time with Gina, but I remember that with the Lord. And, and I think, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't read my Bible late into the night the way I used to. I don't ask the questions the way I used to. And I go, you know what? I've, I've left that first love. I don't, I, don't, I don't, I'm not as passionate as I was when I first got saved. And we, we've got to remember. And so what do we remember? We remember, go back and what we've already talked about. You know what? I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm lost and going to hell. I ain't got no way of saving myself. And I come to that realization. I hear the gospel and I hear what Jesus has done for me. And when you read the account of what Jesus went through, when, when they spit upon him and they pulled his beard and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they, they don't just put it on his head, they drive it, they Big old thorns that go into his scalp, to the core, right to the skull. 
and it's bleeding everywhere. And they beat him with a cat of nine tails. That's a, that's all these probably had nine tails. That's why they call it that. It's got pieces of glass and stone and rock, different things. And it, as they beat him with that, it would rip his flesh open. They humiliated him. They mocked him. They did all these things. And then he goes, he carries his cross, he goes, they nail him to the cross. And as he hangs on that cross, folks, as he's taking that beating, everything he did, he did for us. And then our sin is placed upon him. And the Bible says that he became our sin. You know, I had a pastor explain that one time. What, would it, what was it like for Christ to take our sin, the one who had never sinned? He said, well, imagine drinking a bucket of warm spit. You go, oh, that's gross. Yeah, that's right. It's gross. I mean, I, I, think of the most nasty thing you can think of. And, and Christ took our sin, and he died on that cross for us. And he rose again with victory. And when we remember what he did for us, and we remember hearing the gospel, we remember understanding, boy, I'm, I'm hopeless, but Jesus has made a way. And he calls us, and we come to repentance, and we bow on our face, and we call out to God, and he saves our soul. That's what he's saying here. Remember. Remember where you've, from where you have fallen. And so the best way to get back to what we've fallen away from is to remember those things, to think about those things. And I, I encourage you as, you, as you're on the drive home tonight, maybe if you're, as a couple, don't talk. So as you're driving home, why don't you just remember, think about those things. Meditate on that a little bit tonight. Think about where you've come from. Think about what Jesus has done. So as we remember that, and then he says repent. Because you know what? When we think about those things, you know, even now, if we will think about those things, God will bring to, to mind things right now that aren't right in our life. And how we repented then, what he's saying now, you're not where you were then. You're not, you're not where you were when you first got saved. You've left your first love. He says repent. Repent means a change of mind. It's a change of direction. So I get to where, you know what, I'm pretty self-reliant. Lord, I got this, and, and so I can handle it. And all of a sudden, he gets on me, and the burden comes on. He reveals that to me. Repentance is when I go, Lord, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I, I've been trying to do it my way. And we come back to him. It's a change. Of, there has to be a change of mind. And our actions are going to follow. We change our mind. We realize I can't do it that way. We turn back to him in repentance and brokenness. We're contrite and we confess our sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he'll restore that relationship. He'll restore that. He'll put it back where it was. So we remember from where we fall and we repent and do the first works. You think about those things. Think about what you did as a new Christian. Think about the passion you had for the Lord. Let's get back to that. That's what, he's, that's what he's telling them here. That's what he's telling them here. Repent and come back to those first works. Tonight, you know, as I, 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 you know, I told you all, every church we're going to look at, we're going to find elements of that in our church. My fear is there may be some in our church that are working, 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 but they're, they've gotten to a place where it's kind of going through the motions. We're just doing our duty. I, I pray that's not the case, but if it is... You know what, I pray, I pray that you'll come back to that first love. You get your heart back right with the Lord. 
Not doing things because you have to or ought to or even because you want to. You do it because you've been with the Lord and, and you're passionate about Him and your, your service is driven out of that relationship with Him. Let that relationship fuel everything. And let's get back to that. If you've gotten away from that, tonight's the night to get back to Him. And if, and if tonight, sitting here, you've, you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, we're going we're gonna to wrap up early here in a minute so you don't have to run off. I'm, I'm going I'm to be here. I'd love to talk to you tonight. I, I, and I've, I've hit that pretty hard tonight. And, uh, you know, I just feel like, I don't feel like, I just, I, I, don't, I haven't planned to say that. I think the Lord is speaking to somebody tonight. So maybe tonight's the night of salvation. Maybe it's tonight's night for somebody to give their life, give their soul, their eternity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Quit fighting it. Quit rejecting it. And receive what he's offering. So I pray that's what you'll do. So I hope you'll remember. And you'll repent. If need be, you repent. And come back to those first words. Father, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for this look tonight at this church at Ephesus. Lord, I pray it's not us. I pray it couldn't be said of us. I, I, we have a working church. We have a lot of people doing a lot of things. And I pray, Lord, that we, we are doing it out of our love for you. And Lord, anybody in our, in our congregation, starting with me, Lord, that, that if we get into a groove of just going through the motions, God, I pray that you'll convict us of that and we'll come back. We'll, we'll, we'll remember where we've come from. We'll repent of that, Lord, and come back to that first love. Get our relationship back right with you. So, Lord, just, um, just, just do what needs to be done in our hearts. And we'll praise you for that. Lord, I love you and thank you for loving us. Again, Lord, we, we just lift up Fred and Sarah tonight. Our hearts are heavy for them. Our hearts hurt for uh, those that we love so much in our church here. God, just comfort them. Give them peace. Minister to their hurt, their aches, the, their pains, their struggles right now. I, I pray that, God, you'll just they'll feel your presence Lord, maybe stronger than they ever have in any other time in their life. And Lord, just walk them through this fire. And I know you're going to bring them safely through on the other side without even the smell of smoke. But Lord, be with them and we'll praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight.